You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Greetings, good day, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you for joining us uh, for our webinar uh, with uh, the authors and researchers on how regulators use sex disaggregated data and reg tech to enhance financial inclusion. We appreciate the support of Toronto Centre's gender community of practice to deliver this, in particular, the practice, uh, the community practice uh, facilitator, Demet Kanachi, uh, for accommodating us on this section. We, uh, on this uh, session, we also thank uh, our funders, Global Affairs Canada, the Swedish International Development uh, and Cooperation Agency, and the International Monetary Fund, and in direct support of this work, the United States Agency for International Development. Our panelists uh, are well qualified to speak to you today. Uh, and in this uh, uh, order, uh, they all uh, researched and contributed to the publication of the paper. Their bios were previously provided, uh, but just let me remind you that um, as Toronto Centre Program Leaders, uh, Petronella Chagera Ditma is also the Managing Director of the Mustard Seed Advisory. Ernesto Broderson is a uh, independent uh, supervisor and regulatory consultant. And Jennifer Long is also an independent supervisory and regulatory consultant, and we were happy to have them work with us on this program. Our objective um, uh, today is to give you access to those uh, uh, authors uh, and, uh, and their research uh, and their perspectives on the work that we did. Uh, our objective of the study was to um, examine across two regions, two continents, South uh, America and Africa, how supervisors are using data and regulatory technology to supervise financial inclusion and to support female financial empowerment. Uh, the report uh, was developed through a number of techniques, including questionnaires, in-person interviews with the regulators and financial services providers. And so uh, we bring you the views of our uh, um, authors and pa uh, as panelists. If you have questions, you would like to hear from them directly, uh, either generally or specifically, uh, please post your uh, questions in the in the Q&A section. We are monitoring those. The panelists will provide a, a short opening and uh, Petronella will lead us off. You're on mute, Petronella. Sorry, I was on mute. Uh, good day to you all, and uh, thank you for attending this webinar. Thanks, Anatole. Um, I'm going to talk briefly about the, um, uh, the reflections that we had on uh, gender and financial inclusion 
uh, in terms of what's the current status, what are we seeing, what did we see in the um, pilot countries, the countries that we were studying. And um, it, it was very clear to us that regulators are using, uh, they are getting some kind of uh, sex disaggregated data. And this information is showing them that the gender gap still exists. So um, the awareness is really there. Um, most supervisory authorities are aware that um, there is a gender gap in terms of access to finance. Um, there are you know, a number of steps that regulators are taking uh, in order to address the gender gap. Um, I mean, things like licensing of non-bank FSPs, uh, that's something that we know has been happening and it's been going on for quite some time. And that's an effort to address uh, the same issue. Issues around KYC light in a number of countries, this was already in place. Um, the countries that we studied and financial literacy programs were ongoing, uh, mostly targeting um, uh, uh, excluded groups, especially women. So there is high awareness, uh, but I, I guess uh, the big issue is that we didn't really see a strategic positioning in terms of um, placing this into, as, as kind of the, the key issue that, that's being addressed. And, and that's understandable, given where most of the supervisory authorities are. There are conflicting priorities. There's a lot of things that they need to be working on. And because of that, um, maybe this issue is not really taking a center stage as it should be. We can go to the next slide. Next slide, Anato. So um, looking at what regulators can do, we had a few examples and we'll probably talk about these uh, during the Q&A, but really I think the big issue is uh, for the financial services markets, there is need for the regulators to walk the talk, to lead by example, to really demonstrate to all FSPs that when we're talking about gender and inclusion, uh, we, or when we're talking about women inclusion, uh, what does it mean? So somebody has to kind of role model this, especially for the uh, for the financial services providers, the financial institutions. And um, gender mainstreaming has to, it, it probably has to become a key responsibility. We, uh, we, we noted that in all the countries, gender responsibility was kind of um, mainstreaming gender was sort of spread uh, across a lot of institutions, but maybe not as pronounced when it comes to um, financial supervisory authorities as a key responsibility. So that's an area that um, regulators could do something about. And lastly, uh, we can move on to the last slide, uh, just talking again about what is it that can be done. Um, the the last part, so two, two other things, issues to do with strategically positioning the gender issues within the supervisory mandate, within the supervisory remit. Uh, and that will also mean that as, as supervisory authorities, they need to actually demonstrate and show it within the bank or the central bank itself or whatever financial supervisor authority it is. Um, and, and to really see that, you know, focusing on sex disaggregated data is, is actually one of the ways in which, because in across all four countries, the, there was um, an acknowledgement or, an, an, I mean, a, a supervisors had already embarked on risk-based supervision. And sex disaggregated data can actually be a tool that helps you to fulfill that or to implement that without um, 
it's actually part of it because then once you have the sex disaggregated data, you can actually um, profile you know, where, where is the risk concentrated? Is it the males, the females, is it, is it different age groups? So we believe that um, there is already foundations, but I think there is a, a little bit more that needs to be done. And those two are the last key points that regulators can actually embark on. And I'll turn it over to Ernesto. Thank you. Thank you, Petra Mella. And I also wanted to thank uh, the Toronto Center for this uh, really interesting project and for my teammates who have been uh, privileged working on this uh, for the past uh, little over a year. Um, so in terms of technology, what, what we saw on the field when looking at a, the how authorities and FSPs are looking at the technology being used in order to be able to collect sex disaggregated data. What we saw in general is there are obviously supervisors do analyze data more broadly, but the use of sex disaggregated data is a little bit less common. And where data is, av is available, sometimes the, the processing of this data is sometimes a little bit more manual than we would like to do, we'd like to, we'd like to, it to be. And regulators are actually more focused on making sure that there is actually access to the, uh, to the financial services and not so much perhaps on the quality of the financial services. Regulators are actually very, very much engaged in introducing, um, are, are making space for innovation and working towards digital services and such as an example of uh, Innova at SFC in Colombia. And while technology may not be a barrier to, uh, to, uh, to be able to exploit the sex disaggregated data, the reg tech can definitely improve that. And from the financial services provider, a couple of the things that we saw which were interesting were obviously COVID, we, we did this in the middle of a COVID and uh, crisis, and it certainly did accelerate the implementation of digital services. And, I, one of the things that was pointed out both by FSPs and some authorities is that there needs to be some level of um, a there is there's a some level of codependency between how much information can be shared from one side to the other and providing a, a more coherent development of technology between the different um, the different uh, both service providers and authorities can be actually uh, beneficial. There is, finally, there is significant resistance by some cultural gaps. Although, like I said at the beginning, there is COVID that did help in a little bit of uh, introducing technology in providing digital services. And these digital services do provide a, a segue into collecting a little bit better information on a, a sex aggregated data. Can we go to the next one, Anatole, please? In terms of the technology, we saw that the, the, there is some lacking in some countries on physical, physical infrastructure to be able to enable the extension of coverage in the, uh, to, especially to women, but in some cases in more in general in terms of financial inclusion. And uh, like we were saying before, there are in the growth in tandem between the financial service providers and the authorities can actually improve over time and it can actually improve better the way data is actually developed and, um, and being collected. 
And some authorities are, are focused specifically on, uh, on specific, specific financial service products, but others are actually looking at different in depending on the different integration of the different authorities in different countries. And very much a good segue to that. There are, um, there are cross-sectorial and even sometimes cross-agency communication challenges that it make it that would make it a key uh, a key catalyst so that it, it, it coming up with a, a coherent strategy on finding out what level of sex segregated data could actually benefit not only the being able to monitor and 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 understand what's going on in the market but also exchange knowledge on understanding what are some of the gaps that Petronella was mentioning about. The capacity building is key in order to be able to implement subtech solutions. And if we go to the next one, Ansel. Um, and, and as uh, we have seen in, in, in our discussions with different authorities, uh, we have seen that it can definitely, the technology can definitely enhance the collection of, of, of quality data to, uh, to ensure that at least information is, comes in a little bit more in a much more timely manner and it becomes more efficient in order to be able to process a lot of this information. Um, Subtech, uh, Subtech can help regulators inform faster decision on not only again, not only on access, but quality of the, 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 the information that is happening on, on, uh, on the financial services and automating a lot of the processes that exist in the, in, within the regulators and including technology like artificial intelligence and machine learning can help the regulators be able to be a lot more efficient in, uh, in, in, in processing larger quality quantities of data and automate processes and identify gaps. And like Red Patrona was mentioning risks that exist in the market. The regulated technology is, is, is there and, and, um, and uh, we think that it may be worthwhile in, in investing not only in the technology, but in to enhance a regulator's capacity to improve some of these, uh, um, to build up on what they already have. But we also think that there could be also a consideration for non-traditional businesses, business models and methods in providing services in technology in, and we have seen some examples of those, though this is obviously not an uh, up and coming. And with that, I'll turn it over to Jennifer uh, for, for other comments, thank you. Thank you. In this last part of the presentation, I'd like to explore the broader context in which supervisory authorities are working and the role they can play within that context in promoting women's financial inclusion specifically and in, in doing that I'm going to refer to some of the barriers to change and the enablers of change that we found uh, in the course of our work. So I'm going to begin by talking about the four uh, bars in pink and grey that you can see across the top of the diagram which are the foundations that really uh, kind of underpin uh, supervisory authorities work and one thing that struck us if we take the top two together was that uh, although the UN Sustainable Development Goals, which we're familiar with and that very clearly reference gender equality, uh, are very, very clear about the need to make progress in this area, 
the international regulatory standards set by financial services standard setters typically don't reference gender really at all. And we thought that this made it harder for supervisory authorities to do so at a national level, both because it's harder for them to see perhaps what good practice would look like, and also because it may be harder to justify allocating resources to work that doesn't appear to be specifically required by the international standards. On the third bar, we grouped together national strategies uh, for financial inclusion and development and national legislative mandates for supervisory authorities. And obviously there's no one right answer to what either of those things should be. But we did observe some features that seem to help in terms of enabling progress. The first was that where there is a national financial inclusion strategy, a recognition of the many potential barriers such as non-financial infrastructure that are really outside the remit of the supervisory authorities to do anything about, and a cross-cutting approach within that uh, strategy to addressing those barriers. The second enabler was an explicit focus in those strategies on gender equality and on specific gender gaps that needed to be addressed. And the third thing we observed is that it's really helpful for supervisors to have an explicit consumer protection and conduct of business mandate. And this is not always the case, particularly where the supervisory authority is a central bank. Uh, and as we'll discuss in a moment, it becomes really increasingly important uh, as markets mature that that mandate is in place. On the fourth bar here, we cover authorities' own activities and capabilities. And I'll just say, talk quickly about a couple of those. So firstly, we've already talked uh, about some of the opportunities of technology. And one thing that can really help, uh, it's not that easy to do perhaps, but it is for an authority to have an overall technology strategy that concentrates on putting in place key infrastructure that can then be used for different aspects of your supervisory activity, including conduct, inclusion related activities, and, and as a channel for getting in sex disaggregated data. Um, and a really helpful place to start for that is the infrastructure to automate the reporting of aggregated data from financial services providers, which can be leveraged both for prudential and for conduct purposes, including SDD. And secondly, on gender, uh, and this goes back to the point that Petronella was making right at the start about walking the talk. And we saw some really good examples where supervisory authorities are committing themselves to mainstreaming gender in their own activities through mechanisms like staff policies and targets for gender representation in their senior management roles. And some of those are publishing and holding themselves accountable publicly for their progress in that direction. So with that context in mind, I'll just turn to the bottom of the slide where you see that we've um, described some of the different roles that supervisors can play to enhance women's financial inclusion in those blue arrows. And if we start on the left hand side, what we um, typically saw supervisory authorities starting off by doing when their markets were at an earlier stage of maturity was collecting and analyzing data to help the wider financial inclusion ecosystem to understand the landscape. So that might then be used to educate potential market participants and set out policies, uh, which is a very important activity, but actually not necessarily one that supervisors alone can carry out. There may be other bodies who are at least as well placed to do that. But nevertheless, those are important steps, particularly where the markets are at a stage where most access is through informal uh, financial service providers who are probably outside the regulatory perimeter. 
But we did think that as formal provision of financial services becomes more common, there's an opportunity for authorities to leverage the other roles that you see on the right hand side of the diagram uh, to, to really promote gender equality and behavioural change more directly in financial services providers. So in relation to the leader role, this is really about setting a tone from the top and a culture and an expectation in the market that gender in, in, and an inclusive approach are important to you and should be important to those that you supervise. And a great thing about this role is that any authority can choose to adopt it, however sophisticated or not your technology is, uh, and also that you can use uh, a small amount of data to have a big impact in this role. So for example, if you do nothing else, you could set the expectation that your own authority's leadership and that of the financial service providers you supervise should be moving towards balanced gender representation and use sex disaggregated data to track progress and require the FSPs that are lagging behind to take action to catch up. So this then links us into the supervisor role, which is a key opportunity to really change behavior on the ground. And we think this is where there are synergies between conduct of business standards and financial inclusion that can help ensure that both women and men are treated fairly when they do access financial services. And in markets where many women may have some formal access to um, financial services, but perhaps the challenge is then ensuring that they can use those services and get the quality uh, and range of products and services that they need at that point. This becomes really increasingly important. Um, so we think that this is something that's really worth focusing on um, as, as financial markets mature. Although it isn't the main focus of our report, there's also some evidence that gender balance uh, in senior management in FSPs uh, correlates with better risk management overall, which of course is good for prudential supervision as well. This can mean a bit of an adjustment to how we think about the sex disaggregated data that we need, uh, because typically to act uh, on supervisory data, you'll need to be able to look at uh, each uh, financial service provider separately. But again, the good news about this is that it can leverage that same infrastructure that, that your authority probably already needs and may have in place for prudential data returns. So in conclusion on this slide, I just say that while all of these roles are important, we would really encourage supervisors to think more about how they could use the leadership and supervisory roles alongside the others. And now if we move to the next slide, you'll see some references there uh, to, to, to our report uh, which, and, and some other resources from uh, Toronto Centre, which we can provide you with to find out more. But I'll hand back now to Anatole, who's going to lead us into the discussion. Thank you, uh, panelists. Um, all, your, uh, your, your insights are, are valuable for us and uh, you've already generated some questions in the uh, Q&A. So uh, although I had some questions for you, let's go right to the, the audience questions. And uh, uh, Lloyd uh, asks, uh, are there any insurance supervisors who indicated that they were receiving sex disaggregated data? And if so, uh, is this submitted as a regular industry return or on an as per request basis? So I know that um, in Africa, we just dealt with central bank uh, um, supervisors, but in South America, uh, Ernesto and Jennifer, we talked with integrated supervisors in Peru and Colombia. 
and uh, how how were they treating um, supervised sex disaggregated data, um, whether whether it be for an insurance or other uh, regulated sectors? Jennifer Ernesto. So, um, so I, I think um, just coming quickly, I, I think um, we have seen authorities are collecting sex disaggregated data in a couple of industry specific uh, products. And like I was mentioning earlier, their, their, their focus is still in, in, in specific, um, in specific areas. Uh, for instance, credit, and general banking um, information data is collected at a, with a, a, at the gender level and understanding what is happening in terms of access to those. Um, I must say, insurance is is probably lagging a little bit behind with respect to other uh, financial services, specifically with respect to the data that's collected, and that's uh, something that we've seen. But they do recognize. And they do collect some data at a very corporate level, for instance, a, who um, the directors of different firms who, who are uh, the gender of those and understanding what, what happens, but not from the actual field. And yes, with respect to the other, um, with the other industries, yes, the, the data collection happens on a regular basis and is submitted um, in, uh, on, on, a, on a regular basis. I don't know, Jen, if you wanted to also come in. I, I think you pretty much covered it actually, Ernesto. I think we saw that really typically things tended to start with, with a more granular information about, about payments and banking services and less so uh, as we move through into uh, insurance and then into investments and, and securities products. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, Kathy has also put a question in there. What are the implications of these findings for a policy dialogue with international standard setters? And this is for all three of you. Uh, in your views, is this the best place to focus on uh, or promote uh, gender equality? Can, can I make a start on that one? Um, so so I, was really, I was really struck. <laughs> For me, this was one of the really surprising things when we when we were doing our work was almost how completely absent gender is when you go through the international standards in this area, given the prominence that they're given in the UN Sustainable Development Goals, and obviously in many countries on the ground already. So for me, this was a very surprising sort of gap to be reminded of. And, and obviously I was very familiar with those standards, but I guess I hadn't thought about that, that gap before. What, one thing that I was really struck by also is that there are some other regulatory spheres where international standard setters have made commitments to integrate the UN Sustainable Development Goals into their standards. So, for example, if you look at the ISO kind of websites, you see that they are trying to kind of map the connections with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So I, I recognize that doing that in financial services is not enough by itself to make things happen on the ground. That's kind of the hard work of the people in national authorities that would make a difference. But it does seem to me that some coordinated effort on that part by the international standard setters 
would help um, to provide a kind of common core of, of good practice and help to make the connection with other aspects of supervisors' activities, which could be really helpful because as we alluded to at the beginning, I think we're all very conscious that supervisory authorities have, you know, a quite uh, staggering number of things that they're asked to deliver and a lot of different reg regulatory objectives to, to try and reconcile. So we think this could be a really helpful um, tool to, to, to help knit all these things together. Ernesto, uh, Petronat, anything to add? Maybe I could just add that um, I, I totally agree with uh, with Jennifer, and I, I think it would just um, the way it is right now is uh, sustaining the the discord that's there. So there is talk, but there isn't um, integration of this from a policy perspective. So if the international standards are also kind of reinforcing it. Uh, you know, you talk about it because I don't think there was any regulator who wasn't aware. So the talk is there, but the really it's not interwoven into the the mandate, the standards. The, so the regulators kind of talk about it, but they can't quite see it how, how, how it fits into their priorities. So I, I totally agree with Jennifer on that. And Ernesto, you, you just to in just, number of countries. Yeah, just to add, I, I, I think um, especially when um, especially when when policymakers and regulators are say, and um, and especially when when regulators have distinct specific purposes and specialize in specific industries, that it becomes a special, especially important to coordinate this policy overview with respect to um, to what the supervisors are doing. So this overarching uh, policy decisions at a at a country level. They, they probably do need somebody to coordinate at the sectorial level and and sometimes that um, becomes a little bit less of a, of a mainstream like Petronella and Jennifer were saying but more uh, of an afterthought and and depends sometimes on the mandate of the scope of the mandate the authorities have uh, with respect to their uh, mission on, on supervision on specific industries themselves. Okay, thank you. Um, so we're continuing to get uh, interest in questions from the audience. So let's stay with that. Um, uh, Rock Anna Lees uh, asks, aside from requesting data on gender composition of leadership in FSCs, I'm not sure what that means. Uh, what other specific types of information are requested by bodies with established databases? Uh, this will help institutions just starting their sex disaggregated data. So let's look at it a couple of ways. The perspective of the financial services entity who is uh, expecting to be asked about uh, data compos uh, gender composition in their submissions to um, financial services uh, um, authorities or, and from the authorities perspective. So uh, Petronella, do you wanna start from the, uh, the business perspective? You're on mute. But I keep making this mistake this time around. So yeah, um, 
I will talk about what we found and, and generally what's supposed to be collected. So some of what we were finding, uh, so instead of just collecting data on, so if we talk about access only, not even about usage. So if we're talking about access, how many men and women are accessing which kind of financial services? So you almost looking at a breakdown of um, if it's credit, what kind of credit, and you have it broken down by the gender, um, the, the gender variables. And if it's, um, um, a deposit accounts, if it's fixed deposits, and, and then paint a picture to see uh, who is who is accessing which services. You can even move a step further, and this is not what we found, but if you move a step further, you would even go on to say, in terms of usage, because they can open these accounts, but they don't use them. So you can even go into usage, who is using what and to what extent. And so uh, that kind of detailed information, if it's disaggregated by gender, in, so it's by product, but it's by gender. Um, you could even go into, because of the digital wave that's there, you could even go into digital and begin to say, who is, who is using which digital products or who is using which payment systems? Um, in, my, in my country, the regulatory authority is very good at, 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 at collecting what transactions went through point of sale, ATMs and what have you. And you can imagine this is a lot of information, but if you, if you were to, if they had to find a way of disaggregating that by gender and be able to see, do we have more women using their mobile phones than using the point of sale devices or the ATMs? It could feed into so many policy implications. Maybe I'll stop there and um, Ernesto and Jello and Jennifer may want to come in. Yeah, maybe. Anatole, you're, you're, now it's your turn to be on mute, but I will pick up anyway uh, and then hand over seamlessly to Ernesto afterwards. Um, so, so I think from the from the authority point of view, I think we, we saw uh, we saw a mix of, of, of different uh, approaches and I guess levels of data that that, that people were having. Uh, and I'll explain a bit more why that was in a moment. But the key thing, uh, the key place to start, I think, is as uh, is a version of what Petronella was describing for businesses, which is of the F of the financial service providers client base, what proportion of those are women and what products are those women buying? So a lot of it would be about having an, a, a kind of data return where you're asking the FSP to summarize for the uh, for the uh, regulatory body, uh, a breakdown uh, of, of its kind of product sales, for example, or its product holdings by the gender of the customer. So with that, you can do a lot. So that won't tell you the answer to everything, but with that, you can do a lot, um, particularly in terms of um, uh, getting a sense of where the, where the real gaps are, where you're seeing changes over time and where you're not seeing changes over time, perhaps in areas that you, you want to see change. And you'll also get a sense of which uh, FSPs seem to be doing a better job at attracting and appealing to women customers. Uh, and that might want, make you want to start asking some questions to the others about what they are not doing and how they're going to improve the situation. So that's a really kind of important starting point. Uh, it's not straightforward to do, but equally, you don't have to gather every bit of data to be able to do quite a lot uh, if, you could, if you can make a start in that direction. What we also found is that some authorities, particularly uh, perhaps on, on the credit side, sometimes also on payments, have access to much more granular data 
because either they have a public credit bureau uh, and so there, there's more granular data there or for example they have a means of tapping into uh, uh, more transaction level data on payments if you have an opportunity to do that which might arise for different reasons it might not be prompted specifically by your financial inclusion work or by your interest in gender you can start perhaps to see different patterns and understand a bit how consumers are operating and think about what are the enablers, what are the things that are helping them that firms are doing, and firms can think about this too, and what are the things that might be holding them back. The, the challenge with that is it's a very, obviously that's a very data rich uh, way of doing things. Uh, and we know that sometimes if we go back to the colleague from the insurance sector, there can be perhaps a feeling that you need to have that level of granularity of data to be able to do anything. And it can be quite hard to justify the kind of cost um, and, and, and perceived burden on the financial sector to do that. So I think a message there would be, if you have access to that granular data, then there's lots that you can do with it. But if you're in a sector where that isn't where you are at the moment, don't be too disheartened uh, because you might not need that to address some of the key, key challenges in, in your part of the market or to make a start on addressing those. Ernesto, um, if, if you can answer that question as well, but um, at the same time, uh, Francesca asked the question, which I think is very much related to the topic that we're talking about, and, and Jennifer did a good job of hitting some of those points in her answer uh, for regulators. How can we support uh, regulatory uh, authorities in mandating data collection, and most importantly, effective use and analysis of, of data? So if you can um, uh, bundle those two together that way I think will be helpful yeah I think I think the the um, I think the first thing I, I think related to the second question and just going back to the first one as well uh, technology is scary and expensive you no know? and 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 sometimes they 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 um, both regulators and financial service providers think of these really really sophisticated, um, solutions, uh, and we don't have to start that way. Sometimes we we are envisioning something more that needs to happen. And the, the what I've seen in my experience in a couple of different countries is the regulators are always looking to do more with the data they that they have and and how much they can use. Uh, to go back to the first question real quick, I'll I'll come back to this one. But the, there, there are other sources of information as well regulators use. And, and even in like statistics uh, agencies, they provide some overview of uh, what is the gender composition in different physical areas so that you can actually find out if, if a, an FSP, for example, or the industry is not tackling that specific area, you, then you can identify potential structural problems Perhaps they have, they're related to infrastructure or other issues that they could be addressed even at a policy level. So that could feed back into the policy question that we were discovering earlier. I think that the, the, other, the other important thing that we, we, we want to discuss going back to this thinking of, of technology as a huge uh, undertaking, we don't need to start if, if with, with something very sophisticated if we don't have it. And technology is an evolution. I used to have a friend who would say, "If you don't have technology problems, you, you're you're in you're in trouble because you you have 
it, you're all you're you're really backwards. You 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 have to have you have to grow these growing pains that exist in the in within the institutions to be able to introduce and 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 continue to sophisticate the information that is received in an automated way and making it easy for financial services providers to be able to do the reporting is i think that that is one of the things that i think francesca is asking about how do we reduce these burdens for the financial services providers and coming up with open standards that are easy to implement, those are some things that are, are not so complicated. And sometimes creating a portal for them to be able to upload their the data, the, their data in a, in a standardized way, those are things that can be done by authorities. And in a way, they're reducing the regulatory burden for the financial services industry to be able to produce. And I think uh, Jennifer was alluding to earlier, we don't have to start with a very detailed granular data. If you have it, that's fantastic. But you can actually start getting reports on a more, on a more aggregate level to be able to understand what is really happening. And with these structured data uh, reports, at least you can start being able to compare apples to apples and not only a progression on the timeline to be able to access and, and process the information. With that, I think um, I, I will turn it over to my colleagues. Uh, back to you, Ahmed. Was, was there anything that uh, either of you wish to add to uh, Ernesto's answer for Francesca? Yeah, maybe a little, if I, if I may. So I, I, I think Francesca is highlighting quite an important problem here, which is how what can you do to try to bring the the industry along with you, the, the FSPs along with you, even as you ask them to take action. Um, and I think Ernesto's highlighted about the importance there of trying to kind of do things in a way that makes it easy for FSPs to comply. I think another thing that, that authorities can do, uh, and it's something that uh, often gets overlooked, not just in this context, but uh, we all know that data is a powerful thing. So it can be really tempting to concentrate on getting more data into your building without having thought upfront about what you are gonna do with it when you have it. So I guess, and, and there is, that is something that uh, will, annoy your, um, will annoy your regulated entities intensely, particularly if they don't then see some evidence that you're using that data. So I think uh, to save yourself a lot of uh, grief and potentially money, think first about what do you want to use this data for and therefore what is and, and what can you do what's the minimum data that you need to achieve that result and anything else that you get is a bonus uh, but then you'll have a really compelling case for yourself uh, for why you need it uh, and what you're going to do with it um, whether you disclose all of that to your firms is a different is a different question but you at least will be confident that the data is not going to go to waste and then the other thing is, and, and I think this, this touches back into something that kind of Petronella was talking earlier about within, within financial services providers, is that there's a really important thing to remember here, which is that when we're talking about sex disaggregated data and using that to understand customers, you know, that really is fundamental to running a successful business. It's really fundamental to growing your business, uh, keeping your customers happy, and in a financial services context to managing your risk because you have to know you know you have to know who your client base are to understand the risks in your business model so there should be a really powerful case 
about why this is kind of intrinsic to running an effective business, uh, helping you to identify commercial opportunities and, and, and make the most of them. And it may be that that kind of conversation can help, uh, provided that supervisors are then kind of able to, to, to be kind of proportionate in terms of what they require to be done specifically for their own purposes, about how thinking about this data can help the businesses themselves. Um. Before you answer, Petronella, because I think this um, this question and the following question dovetail nicely together, uh, Francesca, for your benefit, in our report, in the conclusions and recommendations section, we did put an action checklist in for uh, what regulators and their ministries can do to help with this. So I would encourage you to refer back to our uh, our um, our report, and and so Petronella, if you can wrap this question into your response, what can regulators do to enable more service providers to appreciate the need to track and report sex disaggregated data? And, and again, I'm going to refer MUCA to our report again in the recommendations and conclusion sections, where we have action plans for uh, financial service providers. Uh, to help them deal with this. So we hope that uh, the report is not just something that will sit on shelves, but can act as a, as a good reference. And over to you, uh, Petronella. Um, th thanks, Anatole. The, uh, so the, the, the two questions are actually related. One of the uh, issues we found, it was interesting that some FSPs were not even resisting. I, they, I mean, if there was a portal they were saying yeah we are uploading but there was not this um full appreciation of why they needed this data so i mean if they actually understand why they need it from their own business perspective and and part of it is also something that regulators can do why because if you're collecting data and there's there's never a point at which the the people are submitting that data, the FSPs benefit from the consolidated data. So, one of the questions I think that we asked was, you know, at what point do you even uh, like share, uh, say, industry-wide findings to kind of like say this is how how we are doing as an industry? Is that information available for the FSPs? Can they tap into it somewhere? Can they find it somewhere? Can they find something useful which is already disaggregated, which is already showing, oh, um, uh, women behave like this and that, and we find that women who are in this age group, they are behaving like that. We, I'm not saying regulators should do that, but I'm saying the amount of data that's sitting, actually, um, I, 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 I take out I'll, I'll, I'll go backwards to what i said earlier on the amount of data that was already being collected was a lot in the institutions in the even in the in the authorities we talked up we talked to but it wasn't being analyzed to the point where it was being useful to push policy or even to inform governments because some of the things are beyond the central banks right or they are beyond the financial uh, supervisors so they would need to coordinate or work with other parties in the government and say well because of this data that we've been collecting we found for the past three years women are doing this and that and that because there are no ideas it becomes a very powerful um, tool because it's coming from the supervisory work that's being done. So one of the things that we found which was lacking was the feedback or 
or a portal that allows me to go in and see what my industry is looking like because I'm submitting something and, and what, what does it mean? There, there were a number of pilots on the digital side where sex disaggregated data was already being collected, but a lot of the institutions were just submitting the data. They were not very clear or sure of what this was. The second piece is really the issue around, um, and I'll talk more from an FSP perspective, going back to what Jennifer said, the issue about being customer centric is also about really understanding your own customer and saying, I fully appreciate my customers and I really want to um, maximize the value that I'm delivering to the customer. And so this is one of the tools in which um, FSPs can really say we are customer centric. And if they want to go uh, for the women segment, they would really want to understand how, uh, what are their aspirations, their needs, their what, and what are some of their challenges. And collecting this data is the first step of understanding that. So I, I would say, um, I think the, the, those two for me were critical, really making sure that they understand the business, that there is a business case from their own business perspective, which is the customer centric issue. And then the second one being um, the ability to use the feedback, the ability to actually see what we are providing and how it's painting the picture for our country, for our sector, uh, whether it's digital or non-digital, what is it actually saying to us? And if regulators can feedback, that may also encourage um, FSPs. We found actually in some uh, authorities that FSPs were being taken for training. And I, I think that's important. Like if you, if you thought you were going to introduce a portal and you want something, not only to train them on how to upload onto the portal, but the usefulness of what they are doing and how you intend to use this for policy or for um, you know, for other uh, other things within the financial services market. Uh, maybe I'll stop there for now. Uh, Ernesto, uh, uh, Jennifer, anything that you wanted to add uh, on this with respect to FSPs? No? Okay. I think uh, just to add quickly, I think the, the, the question on how do they see the value, it's, um, I think, understanding industry-wide challenges um, like uh, like some of the, the things that Petronio was mentioning is, is key uh, uh, because that provides them room for their own growth and being able to understand what are the possibilities. Naturally, it will come, uh, it, it does come at, at, uh, at a cost to be able to produce these, uh, these reports on a regular basis. But I think under, uh, some of the FSPs might be in, interested in understanding what some of the gaps are that, that they could tackle if they had a little bit more information on what's happening in terms of potential marketplace that, uh, that they're not tackling yet. Great, thank you. So uh, I think that that was a principal conclusion uh, of our report, uh, that uh, it, making the end user aware of what the value proposition of collecting the sex disaggregated data was, was important. Uh, we've got, oh, we're, they're keeping us busy. Lloyd's back. Uh, what do you say are some of the main benefits for insurers to embrace sex disaggregated data, particularly in countries where women are generally financially excluded? Well, that hits right to the heart of uh, what we, why we did this work, uh, uh, Lloyd. So thanks for asking. And I'm going to uh, let uh, Ernesto kick it off and then we'll, we'll do the round uh, the table. Well, I think um, this, is, this is a fantastic question. And, and I think uh, 
when we see, especially when it comes to, it seems like Lloyd is very focused on insurance. And I think the, 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 the question on the risk pulling, for example, in, in, in for the insurance companies themselves to be able to understand what is happening at a sex uh, on a gender basis is understanding what, what are the possibilities for them to be able to reduce uh, risks within their, their, the, the services that they provide. Um, so I think, I think understanding it from, from a systemic standpoint uh, from the financial services regulators, it provides definitely an understanding of what are maybe some of the systemic risks that exist in 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 uh, in specific areas. Um, gender introduces a um, a more um, softer or, or kind of smoothens the tail of, of these risks in in many of these aspects. Uh, I think there are there are definitely a really good uh, synergies on understanding what what is happening and maybe your their their specific uh, issues we women are known to be fantastic great payers on credits and and many many other th these things and not only in latin america in other in other countries um uh, i'm going to be politically correct and not introduce examples but but i think in in uh, but i i think that there are definitely significant benefits on embracing the the, the sex segregated data and not all in in general but especially in in, in insurance um, there are significant benefits on understanding what what is happening there and uh, and being able to uh, to understand what is the value of 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 um, uh, of introducing gender and and being able to cover women correctly in in financial services such as insurance provides a much better financial model in uh, for for FSPs and obviously when you're covering and you democratizing uh, these financial services it provides a significant financial stability throughout the country so i think i think it's a um i'll let uh, i'll let my colleagues also compliment but i think it's uh, it's something that we've been asking ourselves exactly how how to how to how to get this uh, going Jennifer yeah thank you uh, yeah I'd like I'd like to think about this first in terms of a carrot and then and then come back to the traditional stick uh, that we might use because we might need a bit of both to uh, to uh, help our insurers see the importance of this and 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 some of what I say will be specific to insurance but some of it's applicable I think a bit more broadly so I, I think in terms of benefits and, and, and Lloyd, you posed the challenge about, um, you know, how they see the value in countries where women are generally financially excluded. Well, firstly, women might be financially excluded now, but they won't be tomorrow or the day after that. They're going to be an important part of your market. And what we've seen in some countries, and there are many examples that can be pointed to, is that where FSPs have thought creatively about um, the market opportunities, they've actually identified products and services that women want and can pay for and will pay for that perhaps are as less interest to men. So actually you can grow your market this way. So um, obviously that that's again about targeting that data and being clear how you're using it. Uh, but it's, it's kind of thinking about where there's a, a common interest between what we as regulators want to achieve and what the FSPs 
their, their own self-interest in terms of identifying new opportunities. And so there are examples, for example, of microinsurance for covering risks to household kind of instability of household income, where there are examples where those products have effectively grown the market to, to women that hadn't perhaps previously held insurance products. So that's perhaps the carrot side. Uh, I guess we haven't talked so much about the, the potential, what's the stick? Uh, now, and we all know as supervisors that kind of we, we ideally want to have both of these tools, something to encourage our regulated community and, and something that we use when encouragement is, isn't enough. And I think that's one reason why we have focused in our report on uh, the intersection between inclusion and uh, conduct of business and consumer protection uh, supervision and how you can do that. Uh, coupled with the fact that in all the countries in our pilot and in, in many others, you know, uh, insurers, uh, financial services firms, like other businesses, do have a, a legal duty not to discriminate between men and women and to treat men and women equally. Doesn't necessarily mean treating them the same, but it's quite powerful for a supervisor to challenge a, a firm about how are you doing that? If you don't even know, if you don't have any data, if you're not thinking about the data that you do have, how are you going to convince me that you're treating all your customers fairly, the women who might want to access your products as well as the men? So there's something about challenging FSPs to evidence that they're really discharging those responsibilities. And that's something where we've seen um, uh, some of the authorities in our pilot group and also some um, in, in, in other countries, very explicitly challenging senior leadership of firms to demonstrate how you're doing that. And the great thing about the conduct of business standards that are already kind of in place internationally is, is although, you know, I would like them to be more explicit about referencing gender, but what they are already explicit about is that there is no one customer. There are customers and customers have different characteristics. And so that can be a really sound basis for, for challenging your, your financial services providers. How are you thinking about the characteristics of your different customer segments? And how are you making sure that products and services you're providing are appropriate for them? And that is absolutely fundamental to conduct of business supervision. And you can use it in your discussions with them about gender specifically, and also in other potentially disadvantaged or, or, or less included groups. Okay, Petronella, good wrap up. Okay, so uh, let me just add to what um, Jennifer said. Uh, the size of the market is mind blowing. I, I, I happen to come from one of the countries that's uh, where women are financially excluded. So I fully, I fully understand, especially for the insurance. Uh, when I, when I think of the insurance that's being sold, even to us, I mean, to women like myself, there isn't any thought about what would I want, which is different from what a man would want. So already from, from, from the starting point, I think there's a lot of um, uh, information that is out there, which is available um, and which, which insurers are not harnessing to be able to offer a better service to the existing women customers, but more so, as Jennifer says, to expand their offering and to expand their market size. I mean, the, the, the markets, if we're talking about FSPs and insurers, the market is becoming a lot more competitive. Digital players and fintech players who are not the traditional players who may not even 
be regarded currently as insurers are coming in and offering these kind of products, especially on the microinsurance front. Why? Because the traditional insurers are not looking at this segment and they are they are not really paying attention to the segment to the to the women. Uh, but you know, to think of it from a benefits perspective, when you think about risk pulling, uh, it's, it, it's, it's a game of numbers. And when you think about the population, particularly for Africa, I can talk about Sub-Saharan Africa, you know, a lot of women, a lot of countries, more than 50% of the population, adult population is women. So 55, 52, 53 figures like that. So there is a huge population that's out there, which has not been reached and it's a potential market. So you are sitting on this latent market, latent potential, which you can tap into. So that's one thing that you can talk about. And from a risk pooling perspective, the more you have, I mean, the better from an insurance perspective. So if you have a million customers who sign up, uh, I mean, the risk pooling even works better. The, the third thing is about the stickiness, the fact that women really become loyal. And I, I, I will highlight this. I know there are a few Zambians, Kenyans uh, on the call uh, and across Africa, Sierra Leone, Rwanda, savings groups are a big issue. But the big thing that we fail to recognize about savings groups is that it's actually an insurance mechanism. It's, it's a way of managing uh, what happens to me when I fall sick, what happens to me when I die. Part of it is the social capital, how these women will come together and bury me. But another part of it is actually the financial piece that they will come with burial with, I mean, a lot of us from Southern Africa, we know about burial societies that they've been going on and on and on for, for centuries. So it means that these people need insurance. They're actually fulfilling those needs through informal mechanisms because the insurers are not doing much about it. That's why you have more women as, as in the savings groups than men. So I, I think they, they, there are lots of benefits for insurers to embrace sex disaggregated data because it's your starting point. If you find in your portfolio only 5% is women, then you know that you actually have a huge market that you have not tapped into. Uh, thank you, Petronella. And, and thank you, Michelle uh, chong Bell, for your comment in the uh, chat about the fact that insurers uh, typically price and underwrite uh, using uh, uh, sex as well. Uh, so um, certainly on the life side, that, that's true. Uh, of course, it is getting uh, to the uh, excluded uh, uh, parties that it is important. So I'm, I'm going to ask you one last question each, uh, and I'm going to ask you about what you found most surprising uh, in the work that we did last year. Um, uh, what finding, what uh, observation, what outcome you found the most surprising from our work, and and that will wrap us up for uh, for today's session. Um, Petronella, you started us off uh, with the um, with the, uh, the, the the presentation. So why don't I let you start off as well? So because for me, I, I really come from the financial inclusion uh, 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 industry, and, and, and gender is, is something that's uh, that I'm passionate about. What I found surprising was the fact that uh, you know we kind of agree and talk right, but we are not doing as much as, I, I actually was surprised that there isn't as much. 
even when I was looking for examples, yeah, you find them, but the aren't as many of what regulatory authorities are doing, particularly when you're looking at the Africa region, Latin America, we had a few interesting examples. And I, I, I think for me, that was really surprising that we, we need to have a lot more um, uh, demonstration sites, if I were to call them, uh, that are demonstrating that this can be done and this can be done well. So to me, that was a big surprise, especially from where I'm, I'm coming from. Thank you. Okay, Ernesto? I, I, think, um, I think there were some really good surprises in, in understanding what, uh, what authorities are currently doing. I think uh, because there are in most of the countries that we saw, I think we, I was surprised in some countries that were very advanced in understanding what data they have to be able to gather their, their data in a structured way to be able to come up with a strategy. Um, what is, uh, I guess, what is a little bit um, challenging is understanding what the value of this data is as a, as, a, as a former regulator and supervisor. I think we tend to reduce the value of the data that we're gathering in general. And I think that there, the, the understanding of, of what these assets are meaningful, I think it's uh, the challenge comes now to be able to say, well, how do we make it work for the financial services, which is not a little bit less of a natural way to think about uh, exploiting data so that the financial services can develop and, and you have a little bit stronger financial sector. Um, I think, uh, so I, I think I, I was presently surprised with many examples of, of these. I think there are really good opportunities to be able to structure it in a, in a much more systemic way within the institutions. But I think the, ch the, the challenge is understanding how does this data really, I think it relates to some of the questions that we had earlier. How do, how do we show that this data is valuable? And sometimes we ourselves underestimate as former regulators, underestimate what this value is because we understand, we see the sector from above and obviously we need to be careful about the specific uh, uh, commercial strategies that each individual may have to be able to share this aggregated data but we also want the, the sector to continue to develop and deepen and broaden in in the financial services that we provide so i think it's um it's something that we 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 need to keep working on it uh, i think that um, technology is there to help and uh and um i think coming up with a strategy that that englobes these different visions uh, from a technology and strategic standpoint, I think it made uh, it would uh, it would be very beneficial for for many. So, uh, I think with that, uh, I'll wrap it up. Thank you. Last word, to you, uh, Jennifer. <laughs> so, I think for me, a really surprising thing actually was, I guess I had expected that technology would be the problem, uh, and I came away with slightly different impression, which is that. Uh, more of a difficulty for, for supervisors is being really clear what how to use a particular piece of data to, to, to really take action that supports a change in inclusion rather than describing the situation. 
Uh, and I think uh, like Ernesto, we saw some great examples of how that can be done, but, but realizing that that is not necessarily intuitive and something that supervisory authorities may need perhaps a bit of help with in future and a bit of learning in, uh, through, through communities like this about what works uh, and how to make a start. And that that's really, it, it, it's, uh, it's not the technology that's gonna hold you back. Uh, it, it's being clear about what you can do with the data that you have. Thank you very much, uh, panelists. A great job. Um, this, uh, you know, we'll, we can share that uh, we are continuing to do work uh, under the uh, funding of the uh, United States uh, International uh, Development uh, Group, uh, and that um, we will provide uh, more information for you on this and some tools to help carry on the thoughts that we have. Uh, please, uh, if uh, you haven't already, uh, have a look at our report, it's available on Toronto Centre's uh, website uh, and uh, it can be a useful tool to help you um, think about uh, using sex disaggregated data and uh, technology to achieve uh, uh, female financial inclusion and financial inclusion generally. So with that, um, the questions have dried up. Uh, let's uh, call it a day and uh, thank you very much. Thank you uh, to the audience for your attention and to those who ask their questions. We really appreciate it. Bye for now.